blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Do you know, there's a sense for me that the last hour or so has felt quite overwhelming and that this morning is a real reflection, I think, of what it is to be a church family. As we have marked loss, prayed for a wonderful family, welcomed folk into membership and honoured decades of service in the life of this church. There is that real sense, isn't there, that this, this morning is a beautiful picture of what it is and what it means to be church. We're going to think for the second week in a row about generosity out of this passage. We were in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 last week, um, and the reflection was very much, we give not under compulsion, but in response to the generosity of God towards us. Uh, we give freely um, without being told what to give. We give freely. So we're going to move on. And I want to just pause before we do that and consider Take a step back from all that and just consider two ways in which God is generous towards us. And the first um, has really come from something I've been doing this week. I'll expand in a minute. But the Lord is generous to us in creation. Do you know, it, it helps in Scotland when the sun shines, doesn't it? And it's, it's glorious. It's been a glorious few weeks. And we see around this the magnificence of creation. I think God made Scotland and smiled because he made it that beautiful. But we have everything. And across this world, we have beaches and jungles and deserts and glaciers and everything else in between. There is a magnitude of beauty. Then there is animals of every shape and size. Did you know that there's more than 100 species of octopus, 10,000 species of birds, 25,000 species of orchids, and 900,000 species of insects? At least, I didn't count them all, so don't quote me on that. It's the same with our food, isn't it? There is texture and flavour and size and colours and everything else within that. We live in a world that is dripping with beauty, with variety, with, with, with just a God that displays his lavishness for us and all that he gives us and the common grace that he abounds to us. God doesn't cut corners. God doesn't cut costs. He, doesn't, he didn't create this world on a budget but as we're told in 1 Timothy, God, has rich, uh, God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And you know, this week I was at uh, Cornhill for their, their uh, preacher's training course. I only made one of the three days. I'll get to that. It's a bit of a long story. But the pastor, Willie Philip at the Tron, who's been studying a lot in Genesis recently, said something I'd never thought of before. But he said some of the most understated words in all of Scripture come at the end of Genesis 1.16. Three words that read, and the stars. That's all the words. That's, that's all it reads. And the stars. 100 billion stars in a galaxy. 200 billion galaxies that go further than any of us could possibly in any way comprehend. And the Lord in creation, and he created and the stars. Gloriously generous is our God. Gloriously generous is he to us. But of course, more so than that, the Lord is generous to us in salvation. We see generosity mark the ministry of the Lord Jesus. When he turned water into wine, he didn't just give them decent wine, he gave them the best. When he fed 5,000 and the rest, he didn't ration foods, but there was leftovers, there was much there. But of course, we see the generosity of God most clearly and most fully and most beautifully in the story 
of salvation. It's not just in his life. It's not just in his death on the cross when he breathed his last and gave himself up. But we see as we saw that last week, the one who gave up riches and took on poverty for us. Of course, Jesus didn't act alone, did he? In the great story of salvation, sent by the Father, the Spirit, generally given, gener- generously given to us in our Savior's absence. And in the thought of that, J.I. Parker says wonderfully, the measure of all love is its giving. The measure of the love of God is the cross of Christ. So, as we think this morning about our reaction and our response to a generous God, I want us to think through that that, that generosity we know in what we see, and even more so, the generosity that we see uh, from God in the Son, the Lord Jesus. I experienced generosity this week. Uh, I was going to a wedding, my best mate's wedding in Fort William on Monday, uh, and I broke down in the middle of Glencoe. Uh, My coolant hose disintegrated, basically. Um, Really long story. Anyway, have breakdown cover, by the way. Um, I get towed up to Fort William, got up there, car get put in the garage, I'm half an hour late for this wedding, I'm never making it. And I get talking to a boy who happens to own a pub, um, and the boy said, told him my story, and he said, you're not going to miss this wedding, get in. So he took me from the garage to this tiny little chapel, way out at the bottom of the Glenfinnan viaduct. Turns out the bride was 50 minutes late, and somehow... Somehow I made that wedding. I do have my car, by the way. I went back up on Thursday and got it. Um, but thanks to this incredibly generous pub owner um, and his interesting driving on blind corners, I made it I made it to the wedding on time. So that, that's my story of generosity this week. And I guess as I think about something like that um, and an illustration like that, um, I think then, then, then how much more is Christian generosity than just going out your way to give somebody a lift, though it was, I did go to the pub to try and find them, but he wasn't working, so I'll hopefully thank him one day. But we come here then thinking today about Christian generosity. That is a sustained, over a period of time, sacrificial giving for the purposes of the kingdom of God and the building of the church. And you'll remember last week that I said the key verse that all of this comes under, uh, we find in verse 11 of this chapter, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Paul is again encouraging and thanking their generosity. So a couple of thoughts. We see in these first five verses their preparation to give. Paul is continuing to encourage these Christians. He's he's not telling them about the need of the ministry. They're aware of that. They're aware of what needs done. They're aware of the famine and the desperation uh, on what needs done. He's been telling the Christians um, in Macedonia, uh, using the Macedonians as this example to the Corinthians of what's going on. And Paul's saying, look, don't embarrass me. I know you said you'll give, so let's prepare it. Let's have it ready. But you notice again, verse 5, Paul's not compelling them to give. He's not telling them, but he's acknowledging what they have already said they are going to give. So I think what he teaches us firstly is that preparation helps us ensure that giving comes from a willing and a generous heart. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, he tells them to set aside, save up until he comes for the collection that would come for the believers. Our preparations reveal a willing heart, a desire to give. 
There are, of course, times when quick responses, reactionary measures are required. But also, too, the Lord is honoured in our preparations. So we come back then really to the same question as last week and asking how then, in this preparation, is Paul going to encourage them to give generously from their own hearts and not begrudgingly and not under any form of compulsion. And we come then to verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. We have this farming illustration. You don't need to be a farmer to get this. You put a few seeds in the ground, you'll get a small crop back. You put a good amount of seed in the ground, you'll have some more. To sow sparingly is to withhold giving and a lack of generosity. To sow bountifully is to be generous and given. And in verse 7 proves what he's talking about. Each one of each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctant or under compulsion. And it comes from this principle in Proverbs 11. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should get and only suffers wants. Whoever brings him blessing will be enriched. And one who waters will be himself watered. It is a counterintuitive, countercultural gospel principle. We think about generosity as showing the more we give, the less we have. The tighter we are, the more we will retain. But Paul teaches us it doesn't work like that. I want to talk for a minute about what that principle doesn't mean. If you've ever switched on the telly to any of the God channels, you listen to guys like John Hagee, Creflo Dollar, Joseph Smith, Kenneth Copeland, they love this verse. You'll always hear it. You'll hear something like, God wants you to be wealthy and prosper. God wants to bless you, but he can only do it if you sow the seeds. The number for our ministry is at the bottom of the screen. Give now. You heard it, you've seen it, it's, it's a thing and it exists. And it's, it's the linchpin of the prosperity gospel that says you don't give because God is generous, you give because you can get back. Utter self-centeredness, totally against the whole principle of this. The idea here is not sow this seed and somehow you will now be blessed by God, therefore give, give more. This false gospel deceives millions. It's a tragic, self-centered distortion of the nature of God and his generosity towards us. You see, we don't give because of what we're going to get back. But we give because of who God is and his grace towards us. This isn't, appeal to, this isn't an appeal to self-interest. This isn't Paul saying... This is what you're going to get back. Let me justify to you why you should give. And I think he alleviates our fears a little bit um, on this. Uh, from verses 7, overcoming our fears for generosity. And, and what does God do? The second half of verse 7. What does God do to help us overcome those fears that are around us? One of the fears of generosity is if we're generous, then are we not going to suffer? We think that if we hold close, we'll be okay. God loves 
a cheerful giver. And I think when we read those words and we're told of what God loves, we pay attention. What is God love? God loves the world. John 3.16. God loves sinners. God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves his people. Psalm 146, God loves those who do right. Deuteronomy 7, God loves those who obey him. Psalm 37, God loves justice. And 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, God loves a cheerful giver. If you were to take that list and look at how important that list is, this principle is clearly quite high up in the things that God loves here. And the fact that it would get a mention with the fact that he loves us, that he loves righteousness from us, that he loves justice from us. God loves the person who wants to give and does. Not commanded, but generously. I think the second thing that alleviates our fears is the stunning words of verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Sufficiency in all things, at all times. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? God is the one who makes us abound. Not within the things that we hold dear and the things that we hold close and the things that we see as our own. But it is God himself that gives to us, not so that we can pursue the selfish goal of wealth accumulation, but so that we have everything that we need for an abundance of good deeds. Think about what he's saying. You have what you have so that you can do good works. I'm sure we all know brothers and sisters who are just marked by their generosity. Marked by the way that they give and give and give. Me, my family, we've been on the receiving end of them many times. The generosity we knew in our earliest days here and the hospitality that was provided to us. Giving a roof over our heads to Richard and Arlene will always be incredibly thankful because they looked after us. There is great hospitality that comes from this church. I think this church is marked by it. At the birth of our children, we knew the generosity of this church. This is a generous church. This is a church that looks after and cares deeply for its people. One day we'll maybe tell this wonderful family story of the generosity that they have known and received and the thankfulness that I know abounds from them because of your generosity. Christians give when others have need. It's the bottom line. They help each other. They do good for others. And the marks, the, the, the life of the generous is marked by their knowing the nearness of the Lord and his sufficiency in all things. They're not on the streets without food and clothes because they give so much. But they continue to be sustained by God as they give and do well. I won't reflect on the other kind of people we know, those that are stingy and hold close and lack a generosity and the fact that they never feel they will have enough. But we're aware those people exist too. He quotes for us Psalm 112. I'll read from verse 5. 
It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in the triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. That's the quote given to us from Psalm 112 and verse 9 here. You know, even way back in the Psalms, that it is God who sustains the righteous person. It is God who sustains the righteous to deal generously, distribute freely, give to the poor. It is God's constant provision that allows them to continually help others. And in verse 10, we have a reference to Isaiah 55 and verse 10, where God who supplies the seeds to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. Why? Not for our own needs, but the last words of verse 10. Why? For an air to increase the harvest of your righteousness. So we, we leave this passage then in the last four verses by looking at what generosity does for us. This is really where I wanted us to be. Uh, this is where I wanted to finish the last two weeks. But this idea that from verse 11 that thanksgiving is produced in us. God enriches us so that we can be generous in every way and that generosity will cause thanksgiving to God. Generosity causes others to thank God. Those that receive generosity come with thankfulness. From verse 12, because you are meeting the needs of the saints but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. But it's more than just the generosity of those who receive. It is far more than just the generosity of those who receive because it is also to breathe thanksgiving in those who would give because it brings glory to God. And as his people, that is our aim. That is the chief end of man, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. If that is our purpose, then it breeds in us thanksgiving that that, that is our purpose and that through our generosity, we might see that purpose. Verse 13, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. We see this kind of generosity in Acts 4. We see this desperate need that is marked by thanksgiving. Christians will see the gospel at work because of our generous contributions. It breeds thankfulness in those who receive, in those who give, in those who see. Verse 14, 
will long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God. The picture is that Christians will give to other Christians in financial need and those who receive grace will give thanks to God and glorify God and long and pray for those who show generosity. So the principle of this, the place we come to at, at the end of all of this in the last two weeks is that we spoke last week about tithes and my understanding that that is not the compulsion, we are not under the old covenant, that you are now not compelled and commanded to give, but our giving proves our love for the Lord. What makes a difference between a sparing giver and a giver who gives little is their relationship with the Lord. If we think God is stingy, we will be stingy. If we think God is generous, we will be generous. And friends, God is generous. That's the essence of this. We're encouraged to be generous and desire to be givers because God loves a cheerful giver. God will give us all sufficiency and will reap bountifully so we can continue to do good works and be generous. God is thanked when we are and he is glorified when we are generous. And we're displaying the very heart of the gospel of the generous God when we too are generous. So friends, let us be marked as God's people by generosity and response to his overwhelming grace given to us through his son, the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your generosity towards us, for your generosity and your kindness in giving us this land to live in. Lord, that we might see the beauty of your hand day by day, that we might marvel at the common grace extended to all man of this land. And we thank you, Lord, for your generosity in sending your son, that the Father might look upon us and have such compassion you would send your one and only begotten son so that we might draw close, know you, love you and in response our lives might be marked by gospel generosity. Father we thank you for the word we thank you for your presence with us. Amen.